If you have a Bible with you, uh, or if you got the Bible on your phone, uh, or whatever the case may be, if you just got it memorized, uh, turn in your mental Rolodex to Psalm 23. You actually might have that one memorized. Uh, Psalm 23, and a heads up, we're actually going to be, you might want to keep a thumb in the Gospel of John chapter 10, because we're going to be looking at that too. And if I forget to say it later, um, I'll go ahead and encourage you now to go back and read John chapter 10 um, in the New Testament, maybe later on your own time, because we're just going to dip in and out of there a little bit. But our main passage is Psalm 23. Um, Several years ago, I I heard about this study. I read about a study that was done of 12-year-old kids all around the world. Um, and what they did, they studied two things. They looked at these 12-year-olds' math abilities, how, you know, where they ranked. They were ranking nations based on how well their 12-year-olds did at math. Um, but they also asked a second question. They asked the kids, the 12-year-olds, to rank themselves and how skilled they thought they were in their math abilities. Um, and it might not be a surprise to you, uh, sadly, to know that you know our American 12-year-old kids were not really near the top as far as um, math abilities. However, when it came to their own perception of their math abilities, we were number one. So, right, USA. Um, Now, I, I don't say that to pick on kids. That's really true of all of us in one way or another. We tend to have an overinflated view of ourselves. Um, and it's really, it's something that we just are kind of surrounded with, this big lie that our culture tells us that, that I am my own best resource. And we're, we're told this and taught this in a thousand different ways, not just our kids, but adults too, that to believe in myself is the most virtuous thing that I could do. And now I'm not knocking a healthy sense of self-esteem. That's, that's important, definitely. But Psalm 23 here, it really addresses our false idol of self sufficiency. Um, Psalm 23 is probably the most well-known of all the Psalms. Even if you've never been to church before today, you've never read anything of the Bible, you've probably heard this Psalm read at some point during um, maybe a funeral or who knows what. Um, But what this Psalm really reminds us, it reminds us the reality that as a Christian, I am not my own best resource. In fact, the Lord is. Um, So an important question that this Psalm um, I pray is going to help teach us to, to, together today is to ask ourselves the question, who's going to take care of me? Who's going to take care of me today? If you've placed your trust in Jesus, then the answer is right here. The Lord is my shepherd. So let me read Psalm 23, a Psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, this is your word, um, and we pray that it would not just be words on a page, 
um, that, but it would be uh, your word to us, your people. Uh, soften our hearts, open our ears to hear what you, by your spirit, um, have to teach us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. What um, I'm hoping we can see together as we look at the psalm uh, is, is four things, four ways that Jesus cares for us as his sheep. We're his sheep, he's the shepherd. We're going to see his leading, his presence with us, his provision for us, and then finally his promise to us. Uh, so that's what we're going to do. Uh, but first of all, his, um, his, uh, his leading. And we're going to spend a little bit more time on that first point and then go through the others more quickly. But first of all, Jesus cares for us as his sheep by leading us, by leading us. Uh, the, Im- the image of a shepherd and sheep, the image of God's people being like sheep and God as the shepherd is actually not unique to this psalm. It's actually an image that crops up again and again throughout the scriptures. And it's, it's for good reason. Because if you think about the dynamics, it's a perfect metaphor. Um, you know, it's um, sheep are really dependent, right? You, you're not going to go out just hiking in the woods and just find a random flock of sheep living in the wild. There's no such thing. They cannot survive on their own. Um, and sheep are... Yeah, I mean, I'm insulting you as much as, as myself, but sheep are really dumb, right? You've heard that. Um, if, even if you haven't been around sheep yourself, you've probably heard that, you know, if they're going into a little narrow area, like passing it through a gate, and then the, the farmer, you know, sticks a foot out, and so one lamb has to hop over, you can move your foot and just walk away. They're going to keep doing what the one in front of them did. They really will. They'll just keep on hopping. You could find YouTube videos of this. Um, you know, they get themselves stuck in mud all the time. They flip over upside down, need someone to help them. They're just really dependent. And so it's, it's a perfect metaphor, and it kind of hurts our feelings a little bit that God really likes this metaphor. <laughs> um, but that leads us to the question then, okay, so we need a shepherd. How does, how does he lead us? We need a shepherd to lead us. And the important thing to know is that a shepherd leads sheep by his word. By just his words. Um, the parallel passage that I mentioned to you in the New Testament, John chapter 10, is Jesus speaking roughly a thousand years after David wrote the psalm. And Jesus almost certainly had Psalm 23 in mind as he's speaking the words there in John chapter 10. Jesus is speaking at length about himself as the good shepherd. And so we're going to look at a few verses here and there along the way. But Jesus is making amazing claims there in the Gospel of John. He's telling us that he is a good shepherd that David had been longing for all along. Jesus is saying, Psalm 23, you may not have realized it, but that's about me. And so let me read for you the first, uh, the first five verses of John chapter 10. This is Jesus speaking. Truly, truly, I say to you, He who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought all his own out, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. See, in the ancient world, all a shepherd had to do um, 
to, to really bond with the sheep was just constantly talk to them. A shepherd, literally, even to this day, um, if you go into other more agrarian uh, cultures where there's uh, sheep herding, the shepherd will keep up a constant conversation of just chatter around the sheep. And the reason is obvious, so that sheep learn to recognize the voice of their shepherd. And that's really important when he needs to get them to follow him, but also you can have different flocks that get intermingled on a hillside. And so the way to separate them, all the, the shepherd has to do is just start walking and talking. And the sheep come running. They follow because they know the voice of their shepherd. And it's the same for us, of course. How does our shepherd Jesus lead us? He leads us by his word, right? He leads us by his word. And so um, that's another psalm. Psalm 119 tells us, Your word, Lord, is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. So there's really the first application right off the bat. And we haven't even gotten past the first few words of the psalm. Do you want to know Jesus better? Do you want to find out how he wants to lead you? Then listen to his word. You need to be in his word. And it makes sense when you think about it. There's nothing magical about that relationship. That's true of any relationship. If you want to know a person, you have to listen to them, don't you? You know, you can, you can watch someone from across the room from a distance and maybe figure out a few things about them, but it's also really easy to, to misinterpret their actions and maybe get some things wrong. If you really want to know a person, they have to talk and you have to listen, right? And that's the, what, the unsolicited relationship advice, what people say 90% of a healthy relationship is listening. I just made that percentage up, but you know, it's probably, we all know it's high. Um, learning uh, to listen. And it's the same with God. If we want to know him, if we want to follow his leading, we have to listen. And if you're not reading, hearing his word, then we're not going to know him. So it's going to take a shepherd who's going to lead us, and he uses his word to lead us. But where does he lead us? Look at verse 3. He leads us, it says, in paths of righteousness, or that could could just be translated in right paths. That's important because when the way is treacherous, when maybe um, the path forks in a couple different directions and you got to make a decision which way to go, the sheep need a guide. They need someone to lead them, someone that they can look to to give them direction. And here's something that's really amazing. It says, he leads me in right paths for his name's sake. That's really amazing if you stop and think about it. He has chosen to bind up his own honor, his own reputation with us, his chosen sheep. How I follow him reflects on him as a shepherd. But we know that's easier said than done, right? Too often we're more interested in making our name for ourselves rather than making his name great. We want to try to shepherd ourselves, don't we? I mean, that's what sin is. Um, we, we do this all the time because deep down, we think we know how best to, to take care of ourselves. We really are too easily, all of us, blinded to this innate illusion of competence and self-ordered autonomy um, in so many ways. But the truth is that if we're left to ourselves um, without a good shepherd, we, we just can't walk a straight line, not for very long. 
Um, some of you have heard me in another context uh, tell you the story, so just um, congratulations. But this is really great. Um, a few, uh, as a few years ago now, I read this really incredible article. It's called A Mystery, Why Can't We Walk Straight? Um, and so apparently, for, for decades now, researchers have studied uh, a really interesting human phenomenon. Across the world, humans, apparently, when blindfolded, are incapable of walking in a straight line for very long at all. Um, back in the 1920s, there was one scientist. His name was Asa Schaefer. He, uh, this is funny, he took a volunteer out into a big open field. He blindfolded him, and he said, I want you to walk in as straight a line as you possibly can. Uh, you know, this is a level open field, and he kind of stood up on a ladder and kind of plotted out on a map. And so the guy walked for a while, and he started veering to the right, and then he kind of circled back around, and he just kept walking in tighter and tighter circles until he bumped into the tree where he started. Um, and then another researcher came along and they said, well, let's try swimming. So they blindfolded a swimmer and threw him in a lake and said, swim you know, as straight as you can. And he was swimming in curly cues until he got exhausted and they had to, to drag him out. Um, they even put a guy in a Jeep out in the desert, you know, big open flat. I don't know if it was like the, the Badlands or somewhere. It was some big wide open. And it's like drive as straight as you can. Even driving a Jeep, he started veering to one side and just started... And this is, this is, I mean, researchers regularly kind of repeat this experiment. Um, and they don't know why. They've accounted for uh, maybe some people are right-handed and left-handed, so they veer one way or the other. Maybe it's northern hemisphere, southern hemisphere, which way they turn. Um, that's not it. Maybe some people are stronger on one side of the body or have a longer leg than the other. Or, but none of those factors um, really explain why we can't walk in a straight line. Um, and I love this. The, art, the author of the article put it this way at the end. This is just perfect. You'd think it was written as a sermon illustration. but He says, humans apparently slip into circles when we can't see an external focal point, like a mountaintop, a sun, a moon. Without a corrective, our insides take over, and there's something inside us that won't stay straight. So we need that, that fixed point to, to orient ourselves by. We need a shepherd who's going to lead us, right? But of course, we don't want that. We don't really want that shepherd, if we're honest with ourselves. At a deep level, we do want to just shepherd ourselves. That's what we would rather do. If we're honest, if you're like me, we daily wake up in the morning and we rewrite Psalm 23. We wake up and we think, I am my own shepherd. I shall deny myself nothing I want. I lie myself down in the most luxurious green pastures I can afford. I lead myself beside still waters. I fill myself up. I restore my soul. I lead myself in paths that seem right and profitable to me for my own name's sake. And on and on and on we could go. You see, like sin really is its subtle, isn't it? Even though we have a perfect guide, we have a perfect shepherd who loves us more than we even love ourselves, and yet we very rarely are even willing to follow. Roughly uh, 300 years after David wrote this psalm, the prophet Isaiah said, all we like sheep have gone astray and we've turned everyone to his own way. So we need to be reminded that this is true of us, don't we? We need to be reminded that we're prone to fix our hopes on substitute shepherds, even if that substitute shepherd is just our own will. 
Um, but this is where the good news of the gospel comes in. Because even though we buck against our shepherd's leading, even in spite of that, he still faithfully leads us on, often to good and green pastures. Maybe not always exactly where we want to go, but where we need it. And that's because Jesus, our great shepherd, is infinitely more committed to your thriving than you are yourself. Of course, that doesn't mean that the, the going's going to be easy. Um, because he leads you. He leads you in right paths. But notice the next verse. Notice where those right paths often lead. Verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. So we're guaranteed that suffering is going to come in multiple forms in many different ways. In fact, Jesus himself promised that um, in John 16. He says, in this world, you will have trouble. You don't, you know, people like to claim the promises of God. You're not going to see that on a little Christian mug. You know, In this world, you will have trouble. Um, that's not a promise we like to claim, but Jesus promised it. But he goes on to say, but take heart, right? I have overcome the world. But the point is that we're guaranteed suffering in this life. So the point is, in that suffering, where you look, where the focus of your gaze is, is really important. Um, uh, Elie Wiesel, who was the the famous Nobel laureate, uh, he was a a famous survivor of the Holocaust, Um, he he passed on the story that he heard the Jewish rabbis uh, pass around. And the story, it's kind of more of a little parable, goes like this. It says, in a valley, a traveler loses his way in the forest. It's dark and he's afraid. Danger lurks behind every tree. A storm shatters the silence. In the midst of that danger and terror, the fool, the fool looks at the lightning, but the wise man looks at the road that lies before him, illuminated by the lightning. So where you look is important. Jesus cares for us, not just in his leading, but in his presence with us. It's important where you look in a storm. And so Jesus invites us to keep our eyes on him. And notice that he's not a shepherd who's like far off in the distance, like shouting for us to hurry up. It says he's right here with us, right? I don't, it's really easy to grow up here in Psalm 23 and never even notice that David's form of address to God changes in that verse. He's no longer simply talking about the shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. He's now speaking directly to him, to the shepherd. In the middle of the dark valley, the Lord is right there beside him. He says, for you, Lord, are with me. You are with me. And it's, it's his presence with us that ultimately overcomes our fears. It says, since you are with me, therefore I will not fear any evil. So in the face of terror, the good shepherd stays close. He stays close at hand. Again, in John chapter 10, Jesus said, He who's a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, he sees a wolf coming, and he leaves the sheep and flees. The wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees, he flees because he's not a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. But Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. He doesn't run out on us, right? He doesn't run out on us in suffering. When things get really rough and hairy, um, when we're filled with all kinds of fear. And there's so many opportunities for us to experience fear. It's not just when you were a little kid at night scared of the dark. 
There are all kinds of grown-up fears that we mull over in our head, usually maybe still at nighttime when you're laying there staring at the dark ceiling and you can't fall asleep. You, you play those what-if questions, right? What if? What if? What if I lose my job? What if, what if I can't find a good spouse? What if I'm not sexually attractive enough? What if my kid gets in trouble and, and I can't fix it? We play those questions over and over in our head and hundreds more like it. But you see, Jesus is the only lasting antidote to fear and to what-if questions. He loves you, and he sticks with you in spite of your struggles with sin and with fears. And notice that he's with us, not just being near us, but he's well-equipped to deal with whatever comes our way. He says in verse 4, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. A rod was used to defend the flock. It was basically like a little baseball bat. It was used to, to fight off any, uh, any uh, attackers, like a wolf, any predators. And the staff, you know what the staff is. That's what you've seen in all the Sunday school pictures. The, the shepherd's staff, the long staff with a little crook at the end. And it's used for guiding the sheep, for rescuing them. You can kind of hook it around and pull that sheep out of the mud before he drowns. And so Jesus is well equipped to lead us. He's exactly what we need. We see it in his leading, in his presence with us. Third, um, notice how he provides for us, his provision for us. Look at verse 5. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. And so now, in this part of the psalm, the imagery that we've had of this green pastures and still waters, it changes slightly to a banquet table. But it's really still the same idea that's carried forward. It's just rich, abundant provision, lavish. And so through all of it, we're told, I will not be in, in want of anything that I need. Um, he anoints us with oil. Oil was commonly used to anoint guests at a, at a fancy banquet at that time. Um, and keep in mind who's writing this. And the time when this is being written, right? King David is writing this. This is a, a time uh, when people didn't have air conditioning, when it was hot. Um, they didn't have nice air handling systems to keep them comfortable. There were no painkillers, really, for when you were hurt. When you had a toothache, probably you just yanked the thing out. Um, there was no multi-billion dollar national defense against attacks from other kingdoms. Um, you had spears and maybe chariots. But um, there was no such thing as health insurance. Um, he didn't have the comforts and luxuries that many of us maybe take for granted. And yet, David can honestly say, based on his own experience, the Lord is my good shepherd. He's confident and he's content in the great shepherd who has pledged himself to his people. So that brings us back to the question we started with. Um, a question, who's going to take care of you? Who's going to take care of you? Where is your anchor hoped? That's, um, I've been taught to, to make that an important question in my life for the last I mean, probably decade now in my life. Ask myself that question, who's going to take care of you today? And so I, I want to challenge you, as I preach to myself too, to cultivate in your heart the expectation that Christ will continue to care for you in every possible way that you need. 
You know it's true in your head, but you've got to remind your heart of that on a regular basis. Um, a similar uh, motto comes from um, a hero of mine, um, the famous the German pastor and theologian, uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And he put it this way. He said, I expect nothing from myself and everything from Christ. I expect nothing from myself and everything from Christ. Now, that's not, that's not a cop-out of responsibility. Of course, there are things that we have to do that we ought to do. But the bottom line, the basis for my hope is solely in the work of Christ alone, period, full stop. And so the psalmist goes on here. The shepherd is providing for him in these very specific ways. He says, he provides in the presence of my enemies. Now, that's not just trying to make your enemies jealous of you, like trying to rub their noses in your success. That's not what's going on here. The idea here is a victory celebration. So your enemies have just been vanquished. And so now they're in shackles, basically, held captive. And it's time for the the celebration, because the victory has been won. And he provides this lavish feast now. Um, And so... For us, a question kind of naturally arises, who, who are my enemies? How do I apply that? Um, David literally had Saul and others you know, out seeking his life. Chances are you probably don't have assassins lying in wait for you. Um, if so, just yeah, be careful. Check, check both sides on the way out the door. Most likely you don't have a ninja you know, hiding in the bushes waiting for you. But you may have someone who you feel like maybe someone at work or someone in a family relationship that's just so broken, you feel like they're kind of out to get you. But one way that we can all relate to this is we do have enemies. It may be a little more intangible, but there are things that we've already looked at. The enemies of, of suffering and fear and shame and especially the enemy of indwelling sin, which in and of itself would keep us separated from God the Father. So how does Jesus deal with our enemies for us? Again, here are the words of Jesus in John 10. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. This is key. Jesus says, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. This is how the good shepherd ultimately provides for us, by laying down his own life on the cross in our place. And by doing that, he, he defeats once and for all the enemies of sin and death and fear, and shame, and guilt. Again, remember Isaiah's words. He said, all we like sheep have gone astray, right? We've turned everyone to his own way. And yet, and yet the Lord has laid on him, on him, the suffering servant, the shepherd, the good shepherd who becomes our sacrificial lamb in our place. The Lord has laid on him the sin of us all. And that leads us finally to to the fourth way Jesus cares for us as his sheep. He leads us, he's with us in his presence, his provision for us, and finally, look at his promise to us. The last verse, verse 6. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Um, I, want to, I want to tell you two Hebrew words, and then I promise it's going to be really quick and we're done. Um, but what he's saying here is really important because he, the word there, goodness and mercy, the word trans, that translates into English as the word here, mercy, is the Old Testament Hebrew word, hesed, which is really, commentators will tell you, it's the Old Testament word for grace. 
More often, it's translated as loving kindness or, or steadfast love. And so it's really crucially important to know that that's the word that David is using there. His hesed, his loving kindness, his steadfast love will follow us all the days of our life. The point is that God is with us, present with us in his love. That word, that Hebrew hesed word, is a word that's used of his, his specific covenant love for his people. It's a covenant that he established with Abraham um, roughly 2,000 years B.C., uh, where God had promised Abraham, I will be your God, and you, speaking you in plural, you and your descendants will be my people. And so this promise, God's promise of his faithful, never-ending covenant love, that's the basis for the whole psalm, the basis for the whole relationship here between the shepherd and we, the sheep. And in fact, the second Hebrew word is all the way back at the beginning, in the first verse, where David says, the Lord is my shepherd. If you look in your Bibles, if you, whenever you see, uh, this is a little pro tip, whenever you see the word Lord in all capitals in the Old Testament, and many of you might know this, but that's a tra- that means it's translating a specific word, Yahweh, as God's specific covenant name that he revealed to Moses at the burning bush. Again, meaning, you will be my people. I am that I am. I will be your God. It's the, it's the name for God of his intimacy, of his eminence with his people. And so that, that becomes a basis, and everything in the psalm flows from that covenant, relational reality. So you see how that's, that's just so much more powerful than just saying, okay, God is with us. God is with us. But he's present and he's filled with a fierce covenant love for you as his sheep. So if you're a Christian, if you're, you're a member of his flock, then Jesus has a holy jealousy for you because he's committed himself to you. In fact, he's infinitely more committed to you than you are to yourself. Maybe you've been um, or are in, you know, loving relationships where we, we get these little glimpses of what that kind of fierce covenant love and loyalty is like. Um, for me, I, kinda, I always go back to when uh, my daughter Myra was born. And those of you who are parents, you can identify, right? You're in the hospital and you've just laid eyes on this child that you have not seen before, except maybe in a, a sonogram. And yet holding her there in my hands, um, it's scary, right? It's scary how in love you are with that little bundle that's crying and squirming and wiggling and you're afraid, you don't want to drop. Um, but yeah, I mean, immediately I'm just flooded with the sense of I would do everything I can to help this child grow and thrive and flourish. I would gladly walk across mountains. I would stand in front of oncoming trains, right? You know what I'm talking about. And that's just a tiny glimpse of the covenant love and loyalty our shepherd has for us. Your Lord loves you. He does. And he promises that surely his goodness and his mercy, his steadfast, never-ending love, will follow you, will pursue you all the days of your life. He will not leave you, even to the point of his own sacrificial death, in your place. And that love is the safest place in the universe to be. Give the um, final words here to Jesus himself. Again, John chapter 10. 
Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. I and the father, Jesus says, I and the father are one. So when you wake up uh, tomorrow morning um, and if you're most likely grown up, you don't get the day off school, you got to go back to work um, and you're laying there and you're thinking to yourself, okay, who's going to take care of me today? Do I have to look out for myself? Do I have to scrape and scrap like an abandoned orphan from a Dickens novel to try to get what the, while the getting's good? Do I got to reach out and grab what, what looks good um, while I can? Who's going to take care of me? Cultivate in your heart the, the, the conviction that Christ is enough. The good shepherd who gave his life for you is enough. And now he bids you come and follow me. Let's pray. Lord, you are our good shepherd. We don't believe it very often, so I pray that you would help us to believe it and to live it and to know it and to be encouraged in our walk with you. And pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.